Hey, writers, join our first draft weekly writers club. We meet every Tuesday from 12 to 1 Eastern time. For more information, go to writingclassradio.com and click on the classes tab. I'm Andrea Askwitz. And I'm Allison Langer. This is Writing Class Radio. You'll hear true personal stories and learn a little bit about how to write your own stories. Together, we produce this podcast, which is equal parts heart and art. By heart, we mean the truth in a story, and by art, we mean the craft of writing. No matter what's going on in our lives, writing class is where we tell the truth. It's where we work out our shit. There's no place in the world like writing class, and we want to bring you in. Today, we are on episode 103. We're talking about writing the same story over and over. Students often worry about boring us with the same story. I worry about boring myself. (laughs) Well, sometimes it's boring, but I think it's important. Yeah, I do too. We all have our themes and we're going to write them for our whole lives, probably. We're going to write them for our whole lives. Do you really think that? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I mean, some of the things that we write about, we're probably going to write about forever. I mean, we might move on, but we're going to relearn and relearn about the things that have affected us in our lives. I mean, I agree. I agree in some respects. Some things, though, that I have fixated on, I have gotten through by writing. So I've written and written and written. And every time I came to class, I wrote about the same thing. And that took a couple of months. And then the next thing I knew, I was writing about a new problem that I had, you know, and I became obsessed with that. Right. But I do think it's possible and probably very, very likely that you, me, all of us will come back to the same stories. Not to say that we're not going to get through those situations, but we're probably going to look at those situations from a new angle in several years. I'm sure. I mean, I write about my mom in different ways. I write about my sons in different ways at different stages of their lives and struggles, deaths, uh, boyfriends, all this different stuff with a new perspective. So, you know, when my, when my daughter died, I, you know, already, God, 12, 13 years ago now, it was, um, I wrote about it with such uh, pain and in like that immediate sort of this just happened to me pain. And I've noticed that as I've been writing about her, like you say, coming back to it, you know, years later, um, I write with a different perspective. Not that the pain is not still there. It's just a different perspective. And so, you know, today's story is by Emily Henderson, and she's also writing about something that just recently, within the last year or so, has occurred. And she's there, and she's doing the work, and she's writing. So, um, The point of this episode is that we all have our themes, and yours, one of your themes is loss. And that is true, too, for Emily Henderson. Okay, so Emily tells a story about the loss of a child. And that's a story that she has told. She's been in our class now for like, I don't know, a year and a half or so. And she's written about the loss of her child of many different ways. And this time she tells a story that reveals something really positive, which is her connection with her husband. Not that it's Pollyanna, but it's like, there is something that came out of this I would have never known had it not been for this. So to be able to find a blessing in the pain is... Is really important. And I think writing gets you there. I do. If you write about it enough, you will get there. And the reason we keep writing about the same things is because we're not solving whatever issue it is, right? We're not working through it. 
we're, well, we are working through it, but we're not, we haven't come to the conclusion yet. We don't feel resolved if we ever will, but at least it helps. The story that Emily is going to tell is called The Kind of Dad with Big Enough Shoulders to Carry the Grief of Our Family. So we're excited to bring it to you this week because Father's Day is on Sunday. Emily will tell her story after the break. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. I'm Allison Langer, and every Tuesday from 12 to 1 Eastern Time, I host First Draft. It's a class, kinda, because you'll get a little bit of instruction, but mostly it's a group where you come together with other writers online, write to a prompt and share what you wrote. It's the only way to get better. Come join me. Check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com or go to patreon.com slash writingclassradio to learn more. We're back. This is Andrea Askowitz and you're listening to Writing Class Radio. Here's Emily Henderson with her story, The Kind of Dad with Big Enough Shoulders to Carry the Grief of Our Family. My husband, Nick, is the kind of dad with tools to build a playhouse and purple dye for crazy hair day at school. He wrestles our 10-year-old son and 8-year-old daughter and doesn't care that our turf grass rubs his 42-year-old knees raw. He is the kind of dad with big enough shoulders to carry the grief of our whole family. It's five years earlier. Our children are six and four. We are having the conversation many couples have. Should we try for a third? I worry about starting over with diapers and sleepless nights. Both of our kids are healthy. I wonder if we're tempting fate. But we are baby people. I often joke, if we had married when we were 18 instead of 30, we would have a baseball team by now. I love how Nick's big hands look, folding onesies and bundling baby socks. I want to see him again with a newborn swallowed up by the crook of his left arm while he grills tri-tip with his right. I am pregnant and then 10 weeks later I am not. We hold each other in the doctor's office when she says there is no heartbeat. Nick isn't afraid to be hopeful when soon after the miscarriage I am pregnant again. I, however, am afraid to move. Our third child is born uneventfully. Nick lays him on my chest and tells me we have a son. It's just him and me in the safety of our cramped hospital room while we get to know our new baby. I snap a picture of Nick holding the baby with his fingers under his armpits, causing the baby's fists to push into his cheeks. We start calling the baby Smusher Face. On the morning we are discharged, we settle on naming him Aiden. Nick tears up, maybe sensing this would be the last baby we will ever name. Once home, we fall into the rhythm of becoming a family of five. Nick and the older kids are in a race to see who can make Aiden laugh first. Nick gives all the baths because even after three kids, I'm still afraid of making the water too hot. As Aiden grows, I watch through my fingers as Nick tosses him into the air. Self-assured in his ability to keep our children safe, he says, I haven't dropped one yet. 
Nick is the kind of dad who doesn't worry until there's something to worry about. I worry about things that might happen. I lose sleep googling developmental milestones and pictures of strange rashes. Aiden is 15 months old when I notice his head tilts a little to the right, kind of like he's asking a question. I ask Nick if he sees it too, and he sighs and gives me his, there she goes again, look. I'm annoyed and call the pediatrician anyway. I want the doctor to put my mind at ease. I want to be wrong. As our appointment nears, I notice Aiden wants earlier naps, and he is shaky when he wakes up and he stops being able to use his fingers to pinch blueberries and bring them to his mouth. One appointment leads to another, and then to an MRI, and finally to a brain tumor. Nick is the kind of dad who, carry, who can carry his 17-month-old son into brain surgery. He listens to everything the oncologists and surgeons say so he can explain it to me over and over again later. He is the one who Googles now. He doesn't tell me what he reads, but I learn later it's not good. We spend the next 105 days in treatment. Nick and I take turns sleeping in the hospital with Aiden. Nick takes most of the turns. Even in the hospital, Nick still finds a way to play with his son. He expertly maneuvers the tubes and cords coming from Aiden's brain and arm and heart. He tickles him and plays peekaboo. When Aiden grows tired of his toys, Nick blows up a blue surgical glove and bats him in the face. Halfway through Aiden's first round of chemotherapy, he vomits bright green. At midnight, I ask for an MRI and it shows swelling in Aiden's brain. We transfer to the ICU and he is scheduled to have a shunt put in the next morning, my 40th birthday. Nick stays in the ICU overnight and nurses check Aiden every 15 minutes. Before I leave for the night, Nick hands me a letter saying that I will spend the day with a friend and meet him for dinner in the evening. Nick is the kind of dad who can plan a surprise birthday party for his wife with 25 of her closest friends while his son battles brain cancer. On a rare night home after Aiden's second round of treatment, he spikes a fever. We drive to Children's Hospital at 2 a.m. and Nick sleeps on a gurney built for a child while I sleep in the back of our SUV in the parking lot. We don't know that soon we will leave the hospital with an empty car seat. A few weeks later, during a second attempt to remove the remaining tumor from his brain, Aiden dies unexpectedly during surgery. Nick gives Aiden his final bath. Nick is the one who tells me when it's time to go. He is the one who drives us home in silence. He is the one who tells our two older children their baby brother died. My lips can't seem to form the words. I wake up in the middle of the night, gripping my chest and crying for my son. Nick is next to me, helpless, while I squirm and kick my legs, reaching for Aiden. Eventually, I tire and settle with my head on Nick's chest. When it's Nick's turn to grieve aloud, he says, I wanted to fix it. I'm supposed to fix it, but I couldn't fix it. I'm sorry. I want to absolve him of the responsibility to fix anything. I want to take some of the weight off his shoulders. 
I let him speak until there are no words left. And then I remind him, it couldn't be fixed. Aiden was perfect. He should have never been sick in the first place. It's the summer after Aiden died. I'm standing at our back door. Nick is throwing a football with one of our kids. The other is drawing with chalk on the driveway. The grill is going. I look out at this beautiful mundane scene and notice something is missing around knee height. Aiden should have celebrated his second birthday by now. When Nick sees me coming toward him with the closed lip smile, he meets me halfway. I miss him, I say. I know, he says. He would be walking by now. Nick moves his right hand down his side, palm facing the ground, waving his fingers back and forth, and I can almost see the blonde curls between them as he motions to tussle our son's hair. Before the sun has wrestled through our blinds My body wakes me up Quiet dream finale breathes from your lips. I catch it with a kiss. You turn. This story is so beautiful. <sighs> yeah, it's a little hard for me to listen to. I'll be honest. It's it's this is the thing about writing groups and writing classes. It's always been very helpful for me to know of families who had lost a child, like I did and were happy and I could see them laugh again and they were getting through it. And I thought, you know what? I'm gonna be able to get there one day. I'm not there now, you know, that was way back when, but I'm gonna get there one day. And I basically, um, you know, it's been almost 12 years since my daughter McLean died. I wish I had really just wallowed in it a little bit more because I felt so close to her at the time because I was in so much pain and she felt close. And I felt like Emily in her writing and writing about the same thing over and over, she's holding him close. And that doesn't last forever. And so now, yeah, I still have bad days and stuff like that, but I have really moved on, moved forward with my life. And I try to hold my daughter in a really good place. And I know that Emily is going to get there. And that's why I think she's so glommed on to writing class radio, because it's been a way for her to hold on to her son, but also to be able to connect with other people and, and help get through what she's going through. I thought, I think you just said something so interesting about um, writing about her son or writing about your daughter, which is a way of keeping them alive inside. And that's, that's so beautiful. I love, I love the idea of that. I just wanted to go through the details that really struck me that like I thought were so vivid and just made the story come alive. Right from the beginning, she says that um, her husband has tools for a playhouse and purple dye, like just the specifics of that, like, and the turf grass that he, that rubs his knees raw. So like, we can see that this is the kind of guy that's like playing on his hands and knees with his kids. Every little paragraph I felt like was so vivid and beautiful. Like she says that we were, so here's a showing and telling. We, we are baby people, but then she says that we would have had, if we were married at, at 18 instead of 30, we would have had a baseball team by now. Like what a really awesome way to, to say we would have had a ton of kids. And then she, she says, Nick gives the baths. 
So then she's starting to show the differences between Nick, her husband, and her own anxiety about keeping her kids safe. There's one part that I wanted to ask you about. I mean, there's so many things I wanted to talk about, but one of one of the things is where when she says she gets starts to see Aiden and then he can't like hold on to a blueberry, the blueberries, also a great detail. And then she asks Nick if he sees what she sees. And Nick is like, uh, there she goes again, which I thought was really well done because this story really is about their relationship. And we said this at the top, it's about the loss of this child, but what's revealed is the connection between mom and dad, husband and wife. Right at that scene, the narrator says, I'm annoyed. Do you think that we need more? That's the only moment in the whole story that where the narrator says anything kind of negative at all about her husband. Well, actually, when she said I'm annoyed, it I didn't I didn't feel like she was getting annoyed with him. She's just annoyed um, that he can't tilt his head. Like that's what I got. Like she's annoyed by whatever's happening with her son because the way she talks about him is so loving that I would not assume she was blaming him. Like she was annoyed with him. But, and he is so supportive during this whole thing. But what I loved is that you see this, she has to become annoyed. Otherwise she, you're like, this person's not really for real. So we have to see emotion. We have to see her showing something, right? So because uh, right. she's- Other than just like devotion. Right. No, but I really did. I thought in that moment she was annoyed at her husband. Maybe she's just annoyed at everything. Annoyed in the sense that she's uh, troubled, right? It's something is troubling her. So that's the way I took annoyed. Did you want to see a scene where she's like, no, shows the humanity? No, no, I, I didn't. So, yeah, I mean, I think that that's really interesting because it's really hard to tell a good story where the characters are, are like not well-rounded. There has to be things about Nick that are like fucking obnoxious and annoying, but we didn't, I didn't need it either. I just wondered if you did. Mm -mm. I, I just, I really love the support in this piece. They never once blamed the other person. No, I think they balance each other out, which is so beautiful in this piece. I think so too. The scene where she's gripping her chest and uh, it's such a vulnerable, beautiful, like we get inside their bedroom. This time when I heard it, it really hit me as like, so like, thank you. Like, I want to say thank you for showing me what, what it really looked like when she was mourning and then he was mourning. Oh, and there's this other thing that I, I, I really love about this piece is that she starts like we get in the boat with her and we start flowing down the river and there's not a moment I want to get out of the boat. Like I want to keep finding out what's next, when next. And she expertly maneuvers the story and f has it flow really smoothly. We don't get extra words. We don't get extra thoughts, anything that doesn't apply to the story. Like you can tell this, this writer really went through this with what is the story about in mind? And she got rid of everything else. I mean, I think that what's really amazing about what this story is about is it's about the situation in the story is the narrator loses a child. But what the story ends up being about is discovering the intense and beautiful connection between 
partners. And they, she, that whole line, like I, he says, I couldn't fix it. I'm sorry. Like he recognizes it right there. And whether or not he himself thought this out afterwards, what else could I have done if they went through it? And I'm sure they did, but I really hope that they land on, you know, I want him, I want to absolve him of the responsibility to fix anything. I'm going to just read the whole line. She says, quote, I wanted to absolve him of the responsibility to fix anything. I wanted to take some of the weight off his shoulders. Um, It couldn't be fixed. Aiden was perfect. He should never have been sick in the first place. And yeah, I I mean, I got that because you never think this is going to happen to you. You're sitting in the middle of this shit ass situation and you're like, how did this happen? And we start blaming ourselves. And you know what? Parents do the best they can. We know we did the best you can. They know they did the best they could. And some things cannot be fixed. I wanted to talk about how she wrote the whole thing in present tense, in the present tense. And that I thought was a really interesting, deliberate choice. And it did what you described as like it, you got into her boat and were flowing down the river with her. And I felt the same, like it felt like I'm, I'm floating down the river with her kind of in real time. At the very end, and this is another thing that this narrator does so well, she's really good at landings, at endings. She says, it's the summer after Aiden died. I'm standing at at our back door. And then this scene is so beautiful because they're just having like this regular afternoon. And then she looks over at Nick and he, there's a something, there's like a, they have a communication. They have this unspoken way of knowing what each other are thinking. She says, I miss him. And he says, I know. Such a freaking beautiful last image where the husband is tussling his hair. And with that image, we get that it's still very painful, you know? God, that just makes me cry because you just, you see it, you feel it. And um, yeah, it's, it's never really leaves you. It's just, you just come to terms with it. I mean, I don't know, but I do think that back to what our original, what we talked about at the top of the show, like, I do think Emily's probably going to write about Aiden and her family and her family as a family of five. And I do think this is one of the themes she's going to come back to. And maybe in 10 years or maybe when one of her kids has a kid that's 20 months, she'll write again from that new perspective. And I think it's Danny Shapiro who says like every single time we write about a situation from a new time in our lives, we look at it from a new point of view. We, we know things that we didn't know then. It's a new story. The situation might be the same, but the story is different. I just want to encourage Emily, encourage everyone who thinks they're boring other people with their same stories. No, those stories, if they're coming up again, just need to come up again. Never feel like you're boring anyone. And if you are, find somebody else. <laughs> I think that if a story is important to you, it's important to other people. So if you need to write something, even if you've written about, even if you've touched on that subject before, if you still think it's interesting, if it's still inside you and needing, if you, I mean, I don't know, I hate when like I needed to tell it, but yeah, if you need to tell a story, if you need to write a story, there's a reason. Amen. Thank you, Emily Henderson, for sharing your story. Emily is a stay-at-home mom, volunteer, and freelance writer. 
Her essays have appeared in Scary Mommy, The Santa Barbara Independent, and Love What Matters. She is currently attempting to run every single street in Santa Barbara. <laughs> All right, she's crazy. She writes a blog called My Just Right Life at myjustrightlife.com. You can find her on Instagram at myjustrightlife. This episode of Writing Class Radio is produced by Virginia Laura, Allison Langer, and me, Andrea Askowitz. Theme music by Justina Chandler. Additional music by Poddington Bear and Ari Herstam. There's more Writing Class Radio on our website, writingclassradio.com, including video classes, stories to study, and editing resources. If you love the lessons you get on each episode, you can get all of them in one place on our three-part video series for just 50 bucks. Click on video classes on our website. If you want to be a part of the movement that helps people better understand each other through storytelling, because you know what? That's what this is. This is a movement to help people better understand each other. Follow us on Patreon. For $10 a month, I'll answer all your publishing questions. You can send me your queries and we can think about where you should submit your stories. For $25 a month, you can join Allison's first draft weekly writers group. You'll write to a prompt and share your work every Tuesday, 12 to one. A new episode will drop every other Wednesday. There's no better way to understand ourselves and each other than by writing and sharing our stories. Everyone has a story. What's yours? Also, happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. looking to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness then check out the natural man podcast join me host mike c as we explore all areas of human wellness physical mental and emotional learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health remember your doctor works for you learn biohacks neurohacks ways to improve sleep and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com.